sermons in this series are based on Generosity, How God's Radical Grace Makes Us Givers, by Tim Keller. Um, this sermon series on generosity, and I hope by now you've realized we're not talking about money every single week, um, because generosity is often associated with that. And if, if this is your first time um, into this sermon series, know that, that we are talking about um, a holistic sense of generosity. It's not just uh, being financially generous, but it's being generous in every area of our lives. And so we've talked about um, relational generosity. How can we be generous in our relationships? We've talked about um, generous hospitality. How can we be um, generous in in our hospitality of others? And today, today we're going to talk about um, generosity in ministry. Generosity in ministry. Now, some of you might be thinking, generosity in ministry, you must be talking about yourself. That's your job, right? That's not, that's not our job. You're the minister. You've got a collar. You've got robes on. Not say you're wrong. We're all called to ministry. We're just called to different types of ministry. I'm called, John's Father John is called to ordained ministry. But what is your ministry? You're called to ministry, and today we want to look at how can we be generous in it. Because quite frankly, this is a problem in the church, and not just our church, but the church, the the church around the world, especially, I think, in the church of North America. We have become very good at letting the professional Christians do their job while we consume ministry. We become ministry consumers, and and us as professional Christians, we you know we we hold some responsibility for that because well darn it it feels good to be helpful, and so we will provide you ministry and you can consume it. But that's not the Christian model. That's not the model of Jesus. Jesus says we're called to be ministry providers, not merely ministry consumers. And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning in, in Luke's gospel. We're going to look at how can we be generous in our ministry. If you can at all pull up Luke's gospel, maybe you have your Bible or if you have the, a Bible app on your phone, um, I would encourage you to do so. You all know why I like you to do this, because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Um, this is in, it's in Scripture. And we're going to approach this text in this way. We're going to start at the end. Um, Because in chapter 10, the first two verses of chapter 10, which is the end of our reading, um, it gives us a vision of a life of generous service. And we're going to get this vision there at the end. And then we're going to take, ask the question, how can we get there? What do we need to live a life of generous service? So that's, that's the direction we're going. How can we be generous in our ministry? When I say ministry, I'm talking about how can we use our time and our talents, and the gifts that God has given us to do the work of the kingdom in this world. How can we be generous in that? And say, God, I will will give out of my abundance to your work rather than, well, I'll give you an hour a week. Okay, how can we be generous? So, first, we're called to a life of generous service. Look at chapter 10. We'll just take a quick look at verses 1 and 2. Maybe just verse 1. After this, The Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
So if you're at home and you're reading through Luke's gospel, if we were doing a a chapter-by-chapter sermon series on Luke's gospel, um, this would be a strikingly familiar passage. And you say, well, Jesus, you've already done this, right? And you look back a chapter and you say, oh, you did it, but it was different. It was with different people. And so at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus actually sends out his apostles. He sends out 12 people. He sends them out into the towns and the villages and the marketplaces. And he wants them to cast out demons. He wants them to cure the sick. And he wants them to preach the gospel. He says, go and do these things. I'm sending you out. And here, a chapter later, he's gathered 72 of his followers. And he sends them out. He says, go and do these things. If you read chapter 10, it's the same things. He wants them preaching the gospel and healing the sick and casting out the demons, lifting people's oppressions so they may know the grace and love of God. It's the same thing. But why 72? Isn't that a strange number? Well, it's a symbolic number. It's a symbolic number of completeness and fullness and wholeness. And so when you read Luke's gospel, you don't read, oh, Jesus picked 72 special people. No, he chose everyone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are being sent out to do ministry, to preach the gospel and pray for the sick and cast out demons and, and, and lift people's burdens. God does not call us into a relationship of healing and blessing and forgiveness. We love these things that God gives us, but he does not give them to us without sending us out to offer them to others. Every single follower of Jesus Christ is on mission and ministry. And that's overwhelming. And you hear it and you think, what, what do I have to offer? What can I give? You want me to preach the gospel? I don't even know the gospel. I don't know my Bible. I don't know how to pray for people. I don't know how to comfort them and, and, and lift their burdens. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm nothing. You're not. God has made you to be a minister. And you see this in Ephesians 2, and it talks about such great passages about how God has saved us by his grace. But he also says he's created us to do works. We are God's workmanship. And if you, if you read the, the Greek there, the, the, the nuance of that word is, is an artistic workmanship. It's not some utilitarian tool. God has created us as works of art. We are the creator's works of art, and we've been given works to do. How has God created you? And based on that, what has he given you to do? Because all of us are called to a life of generous service. How shall we get there? Well, we need to have a life of generous discipleship. Let's look at verses um, in, in chapter 9 now, verses 57 to 62. We can't live up to this vision of generosity if we're not following Jesus. 
And so when we look at the middle section of our gospel reading, we see, we see three people who want to follow Jesus. And, and um, one person gets one reaction, the other two get a different reaction from Jesus. And it's fascinating to look at. First, take a peek at verses 57 and 58. As they were going along the road, so Jesus and his disciples, someone came to Jesus. Okay, he approached Jesus. He initiates this conversation. And he says, I will follow you wherever you go. That's great. Okay, that's good. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at him. Oh, if somebody came to me and said that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, let's follow Jesus. Let's do this. But Jesus looks at this guy and he says, really? Okay. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? You need to know who I am. I'm not your typical Messiah. I'm not this political ruler that's going to throw the Romans out and gain power and, and put you in my cabinet because you got on board early. No. I'm going to die. You want to follow me, it's going to cost you. It might cost you your life. At the very least, it's going to cost you your way of life. It will cost you your way of life. And everything you value right now, you will lay it aside. You want to follow me? You're not ready. You're not ready. And so then we read on, and two other people come to Jesus. And he actually gives them the opposite, the opposite reaction. It's, it's not you're coming too fast, it's you're coming too slow. And so to another, Jesus now initiates this conversation there in verse 59. <laughs> to another, he said, follow me. But this person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus calls them. They say, yes, I'm coming, but first. And Jesus says, nope, you're coming too slowly. Well, what's going on here? In in Jesus' day, the family was the most important thing. And even even in in, um, the Near East now, and and even in just sort of Eastern culture in, in general, the family is so important. I mean, you don't, you don't go contrary to your family. You don't, um, you don't make a decision without consulting your family. You, you, you don't do anything without the approval of your family. Otherwise, it's a, a great shame on them. This is the most important thing. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't follow me because something else is your most important thing. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me do this. Whatever this is, that's more important than Jesus. And if he was speaking to us today in Somerville, what would this be? What would this be in your life? Because there is something that is keeping you from following Jesus. There is something. And I talk to people sometimes, and I'm thinking, God's, God's calling you to do this. And they say, yes, I can't wait to follow God as soon as I get my retirement account figured out, right? 
You know, I can't wait to follow God until as soon as I get my family settled down. I can't, I can't wait to follow God except I've got to take care of these things first. What is it? What is it? Because that thing is more important than Jesus. And if you're okay with that, so be it. But at least know that it's true. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, if you will be my disciple, I must be first in your life. And so that requires a generosity. We have to give ourselves away. We have to be generous with who we are, and we have to be generous with what we think is important in order to follow Jesus. If we are going to be generous servants, we must be generous disciples. But if we're going to be generous disciples, we must rest in a life of generous grace. Let's look at the first verses, beginning of verse 49 of chapter 9. We need to know a life of generous grace if we're going to be generous servants and generous disciples. And so there's two stories here in the first part of this gospel reading. Um, John comes up to Jesus, one of his disciples. John comes up and he says, hey, Jesus, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but they're not one of us. So we tried to get him to stop. Aren't you proud of me? And Jesus says, do not stop him. Anyone who's doing these things in my name, anyone who's not against you, is for you. And so they go on, verse 51. When the day, days drew near for him to be taken up, so, so when it was getting close to time for Jesus to die, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. When you set your face to do something, there's nothing else that's going to get in the way of that. You, you're focused, you're lasered in, and everything else falls away. So Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. They're coming to a village in Samaria, verse 52. He sends messengers ahead of him who went and entered the town of, Samar- the town of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So the messengers go ahead and they say, hey, our rabbi is coming. Um, his disciples were coming with him. Um, can you show us hospitality? Will you welcome us and give us a place to stay? Samaritans say, no. No, we're not going to do that. He, all he cares about is Jerusalem. What about us? No, he can't stay here. When the disciples, James and John, saw this inhospitable town, they said to Jesus, Lord, I've got a great idea. Why don't we call fire down from heaven and we'll smite them? It'll be great. Why would they ask that? What a strange question. Now, to be honest, like that would be nice sometimes, right? But why would they ask that? Well, a few chapters earlier, um, James and John, okay, along with Peter, they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were there, and Jesus was there, and Moses was there, and Elijah was there. And in the midst of that, God shows up. And he singles out Jesus in front of the disciples. And he said, this one is my son, with whom I am well pleased. This one, not Moses, not Elijah, this one is the one. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. 
Now, Elijah has a history of calling fire down from heaven and smiting his enemies. It's in Scripture. And so the disciples are thinking, look, if Elijah can do this, certainly Jesus can do it because he's better than Elijah. This town has rejected him. Let's, they get what they're coming. This was a sign of God's judgment. Anyone who would reject God's son certainly deserves the judgment of God. Good idea, right? Jesus turned, verse 55, he turned and rebuked them. Be quiet. Jerks, smiting people with fire. And they went on to another village. I mean, we don't, who, what did he say? I mean, who knows? But it's he's, he's like, he's like, be quiet. Come on, we'll go somewhere else. He won't do it. He won't cast down the fire. Now, this is interesting because two chapters later, in verse chapter 12, maybe three chapters later, Jesus says this. Chapter 12, verse 49. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth. And James and John are like, no, no, you didn't. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. And then verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. What is going on? Well, this is classic Hebrew parallelism. You say one thing and then you say the same thing again in a different way. Okay? So he says, I've come to cast fire on the earth. I've come to judge the earth. I've come to do these things that you expect the Messiah to do. That's one way of looking at it. Second way of looking at it, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I have a baptism of death. I have to be baptized into the wrath of God. I have come to bring judgment, and that judgment will fall on me. And that Jesus would actually take the judgment that he would stand under God's wrath as he bore the sins of the world for our sake. That that fire that should land on my head and your head came down on Jesus' head. And then God raised his obedient son from the dead and he invited us to follow him. That he took the judgment we deserve so we could be his disciples so that we could be in relationship with God. It is a generous grace. And so, friends, we don't have the authority to call fire down on anyone. No. We're called to love the people, even the people who hate us the most. Because the fire of God's judgment fell on Jesus, that this whole world might come to him. And how will this world come it will be through Jesus' disciples who are following him with a generosity that forsakes everything else. And it will become through the service of his disciples that use their gifts to bring glory to God. And then those people that you want to smite with fire will be smitten with the grace of God. And they will be brought into his family. Friends, we are called to a life of generous service. But this service must flow from our generous discipleship of Jesus. And this discipleship of Jesus can only be rooted in the grace that God has given us through his Son. May we be a people, disciples and followers of Jesus, 
who brings that abundance of grace into this world, that everyone might come within the reach of Christ's saving embrace.